Welcome to Tasso Tech Talks. I'm Ben Greenstone, the Managing Director of Tasso Advisory. On this podcast, your hosts, me and my brilliant Tasso Advisory colleagues, will discuss all things policy and politics with our expert guests. We'll go in-depth on the big issues for tech companies, exploring what might happen and what it all means. Across the world, politicians, policymakers and regulators are increasingly focused on technology and the companies behind it. This poses a major risk to tech companies' reputations, their ability to operate and their profitability. It also offers opportunity to shape the environment in a way that works for them and their business and to be known for what they do well. As they say in DC, if you aren't at the table, you're on the menu. So... Welcome to the latest episode of the Tazo Tech Talk podcast. I'm your host, Simone Casadei Pastorino, and uh, this month's episode takes a closer look at the influence and that the European Union is having on the world of tech policy. Since the election in 2019, Brussels has increasingly been central to drafting and passing laws that have shaped the tech environment in the continent and beyond, establishing the EU as a center for global regulation of digital and tech. But what exactly is the EU mandate and approach when it comes to tech policy? Where does it sit in the geopolitical landscape and what is both on the EU tech policy agenda this year and likely to shape the body ground in the next year election? Joining me to discuss this is Gillian Marsh, Senior Director Government Affairs at Balcom and uh, Kai Zenner, Head of Office and Digital Policy Advisor for MEP Voss. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. So why don't we just jump in our conversation and let me ask you this. What is your take on this mandate in terms of EU tech laws? Gillian? Sure, I'm happy to start off. You know, I think the EU is really taking a leadership role in sort of looking at ways to sort of regulate tech. And I think One of the really interesting things and the thing that I really appreciate about the EU's approach or the Commission's approach is that they seem to look at um, the sort of tech sector as an ecosystem. And they seem to understand that there's lots of different players and those players have an impact on each other. And so, for example, by looking at the DMA and sort of the platform regulation, that was sort of a recognition that the platforms were quite powerful. And like any ecosystem, you need to sort of make sure that they're not sort of pushing other players out of the market. And similarly, I think we're seeing a similar approach um, with this exploratory consultation on the future of electronic communications or what is sometimes known as fair share. It's just sort of checking in to make sure that all the various pieces of the sort of tech ecosystem are healthy and functioning. And I think that's a really good way to sort of approach this. I think I can be a little bit more critical, uh, Gillian, because I'm working inside the EU institutions. But um, to start with, I do agree with her that the Commission did a good job. And um, yeah, also the commissioners, uh, von der Leyen, Vestager, Bouton, so in identifying problematic areas or areas where there is a need for um, new legislation. But if you have a closer look, I made an account and we have now 97 existing and upcoming uh, digital laws or at least laws that have a huge impact on um, the digital field. And uh, well, everyone sees uh, or when he hears it and knows already that this is way too much. And especially the biggest point of criticism here is that um, 
Also, again, the ideas are often good when it's coming to platform, when it's coming to Cyber Resilience Act and so on and so on. And no one really takes care how those acts are overlapping with each other, how they are uh, contradicting or interfering with each other. So in the end, we have a complete fragmented um, digital single market. And um, this is not good for companies, but also not good for civil society and for researchers and so on. For example, civil society will have much longer uh, legal proceedings in front of a court because companies can always say, okay, we are violating three laws, but there is one law which allows us to do what we did. Again, this is why I think it's not healthy that they have such a low level of coordination at the moment. And maybe to add um, another point, also this rush um, that the Commission and the Parliament, the Council, and are often having, for example, with DSA, DMA. Um, they made a political deal um, um, before the end of the French uh, presidency, but nothing was really agreed. So informally, on technical level, it was dragging on for weeks. And this is not really in line with democratic uh, procedures, how they should normally be. And also now with the AI Act, we see that the Commission is um, getting more and more frustrated and hectic, that the Parliament is taking a little bit of time. But again, I think it's more important that uh, digital law, law in general, becomes um, good so that the quality is high. And if it's then one week uh, earlier taking into force or not, I think this is not uh, really that important. And maybe a last example which I think underlines my um, my case that I made um, with the right to repair proposal. Um, as you both know, it um, was rejected by the regulatory scrutiny board in the European Commission. And um, many, many um, parliamentarians and also other people um, outside um, the EU institutions were extremely critical and were um, putting a lot of pressure on the Commission and on the regulatory scrutiny boards um, saying that it doesn't matter if this proposal is not in line with European law because it's so important. And this, I think, is especially in this term becoming a real problem that it's more about shiny things that you can present in the public quite well, but not so much about does it really make sense? Is it working together? Is this really a sound legal system that we are creating? So. This is why I would see it a little bit critical, what is happening at the moment. Yeah, I take on board all of that. You know, it has been a lot that has been happening. And I think one of the things I would sort of be slightly critical of is how are they going to actually manage all of this? Like once they have it sort of passed and through. And I think, you know, it's good for Parliament to have that sort of cooling effect sometimes to sort of slow down. But once things get through, then it's like, is there the technical expertise in the Commission to actually enact and do what this is intended to do. And I think that technical expertise is something that is really, really critical here to make this work. And I think that's one area where we're still waiting for sort of units that are going to sort of implement a lot of these things to be set up. And I think that is an area where we really, really hope to see that sort of expertise brought into the commission. It's one thing to pass the regulation, but it's another thing to sort of implement it and make sure that it's actually working for for society. Yeah, I mean, as Gillian said, uh, it's important to see what would be the implementation I would also like to comment on on what you said, Kai. I mean, there are also current, uh, I think, discussions uh, and 
current files where probably uh, businesses would have liked to have a more open discussion about certain topics. I'm thinking about, for example, the Data Act, where definitely there could have been a bit more time to end the discussion because, as you said, it's not just about the businesses. I think it's also about the, I mean, the citizens also would like to give an opinion. And I think uh, probably debating a bit more about that uh, would have helped uh, the, the discussion. So maybe just to, to connect what we were saying about this um, incremented, uh, let's say, effort of the European institutions to, to regulate, uh, maybe we can, uh, we can jump to, uh, to a second question and see where does the EU sit in your opinion, uh, within the wider geopolitical landscape in regards to tech policy? And what does that mean in terms of its approach to setting rules? Well, I mean, I think we've seen Brussels take a leading role in quite a few files moving forward. As far as where they are sort of geopolitically, I think we as a company, especially a U.S. headquarter company, really welcome, you know, the TTC and the sort of cooperation that's happening there between the U.S. and the EU, because I think there is value in, you know, the U.S. and in Europe trying to stay at least sort of in the same marching direction when it comes to tech policy. And there's a lot of sort of shared values there that need to be reflected in, in the legislation. And so I think for our point of view, it's good to see Brussels taking a lead, but we're also hoping that they're continuing to sort of build those strong bonds with sort of like-minded allies. Because I think we've seen you know, particularly when it comes to China, there is a lot of expertise and leadership coming out of China when it comes to cutting edge technologies now. Um, and that's a different dynamic that we all need to sort of realize and sort of figure out how to, to manage. And so I think we hope that, you know, again, Europe and the U.S. continue to work together and to a certain extent, the U.K. as well, because I think we all have a similar vision of what this technology can bring and the benefits it has. But like anything, it needs its proper sort of uh, regulation and framework to make sure that it, it works for society. Yeah, from my side, I can say I completely agree. I will again add a few um, uh, critical points. Maybe to to drop in the first on the China example that Julian was uh, bringing. This is, I think, really showing uh, one structural problem that we have in the European Union. And the every new commission is making a new digital agenda. Um, I don't know that we need to improve, for example, digital skills or connectivity across Europe. We find it everywhere. But what does really change there? So, um, yes, we are doing a lot of new legislation, again, a lot of agendas and strategies. But when it comes to investments, Gian was indicating it, um, Europe is really falling behind or felt behind, is behind quite a bit. And um, yeah, when we are then, for example, looking at the AI Lighthouse project, so the project where the Commission wanted to centralize all of our expertise, it has an EU budget of 800,000 euros. It's nothing. It's a joke. Chinese city is investing, I don't know, 10, 20 times of this um, amount. And yeah, this is why I think and I really hope and my boss Axel Foss is always underlining it. We really need to wake up and invest a lot and uh, do much more in the research sector um, where the UK and the US are often very good in combining the experts we have there with uh, industry, with innovation and so on. Here the EU really needs to become better. And I think 
should focus much more instead of bringing up always new legislation. And the second point that Gillian was also mentioning, yes, we find it also quite positive what is happening, for example, um, with the TTC and also that there are still a lot of cooperation forums and interactions, uh, especially now after, after the, the Ukraine war started. But on the other hand, one thing that we really identified in the last uh, four years um, in Brussels in general and all EU institutions is this push to become more and more protectionist. So um, we, we hear it all the time from our UK friends, for example, that they just do not get a lot of appointments anymore in the commission because people there are telling them, well, you are not EU anymore. We don't really care what you have to say. And this is really going to the highest level. And the um, UK missions and others, also US mission, they are repeating those, those stories. And this is, I think, again, coming back to Ukraine war, geopolitics and so on, is really the worst we can do. Uh, we as Europe, especially since we fell behind on digitalization, we will only strive and become better if we cooperate extremely close with our US friends, UK friends, Japanese friends, and so on and so on. And I, I hope also here that the new commission is pushing back a little bit and is really realizing that if we are just focusing on our own standards and find everyone else in the world inferior, and not meeting our high standards, it's becoming quite alone, um, our situation. So we should really do the opposite and cooperate with all of our partners around the world much more and be open-minded and also listen to best practices. So things that worked, for example, in Canada or in Brazil or in Chile or whatever, because again, uh, Europe is not the best everywhere. And I think we can learn a lot. And this would be also my my wish, what I said already for the next term. So Kai, I guess as I'm taking the role of being the super positive person, but um, I do want to chip in and say, you know, I think Europe does actually have some foundational technology leadership and that grew out of actually the European Union itself. And that is actually the sort of leading edge expertise that a lot of European companies have in developing the sort of foundational communication standards. And I'm talking about what is now 5G and will soon to be 6G. But, you know, the original GSM standard is really something that was born out of the single market and a recognition that you needed a single standard for cellular communications uh, to facilitate that single market. And the way that that standard is developed in an open way that brings across, you know, scientists from around the world together that was attractive to people. And that has now led to the European standard, what used to be the European standard, becoming the global, you know, communication standard that we all know and use and rely on. And if it goes down, we all have a miserable day. Um, and I think that, you know, you can see where this sort of European single market idea can actually drive some really, really foundational and really important technology. And it's easy to overlook the importance of the cellular standard. Uh, but really, I think Europe needs to take some more pride in that because I think this is a, this is a success story. And I think when it comes to this openness that you're talking about and this sort of instinct to shut things down, let's embrace this like global science project that means that all of our cell phones work better each year because it's continuously evolving. Like, let's lean into that more. 
if I had a message for anyone in Europe, I want people to be proud of that when it comes to technology. You hear all the time that you guys are behind or you don't have big platforms, but you do have leadership in this really, really important area. So that's my pep talk for you. <laughs> I do agree. And um, definitely, again, we, we still have a lot of experts in a lot of exciting areas. But um, I think where Europe really lags behind is um, first in the commercialization of those projects. So often it's staying in Fraunhofer Institute, for example, in Germany and so on. And what we saw several times that, for example, Google was then making lists and buying all the brightest minds and um um, hiring them and now they are working in the US. So I think there Europe really should do better. And um, again, also going against this uh, push from some actors to shut down international researcher cooperation, because this will really, really, uh, yeah, we would shoot ourselves in the foot by doing that. And maybe the last point with the standards. There, unfortunately, we are um, getting the feedback from all around, uh, from Senselec, ISO, and so on, that really the European players become less and less active. Um, also on the UN level, for example, with the cyber um, crime uh, standards that was developed two years ago, the Europeans were almost not active there. And yeah, there I really hope this would be maybe some um, very useful initiative by the Commission to promote, let's say, standards, expertise in companies and maybe allow tax breaks for, for specialists there so that also smaller companies can have a specialist for standardization and so on. Because there, I completely agree with you, Europe did so well. It is one of the reasons why we were or are so good like we are and why our economy is so good. So there we should definitely do more. Yeah, I think you're both right. Uh, when when Gillian was uh, was commenting on this, I was just thinking that uh, indeed probably, and I'm not talking to, to you directly, uh, Kai, but um, I think what would be important is that uh, the institutions, having worked in the institutions before, I think I, I can fairly say that institutions would need to also listen the the good the best practices and the good experiences that um, that we have because sometimes there is a tendency of you know saying about the European champions and all the the good experiences but we don't need to look that far I mean we have best practices and good businesses that could offer real life experience and should be listened so I think. This conversation could lead us to another question, which is then which areas of tech policy is the EU most keen to shape in the coming years and what impact is that likely to have on the world then? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I think one area in the EU institutions where you can always see a little bit where we are heading is the uh, Joint Research uh, Center and the EPIS and Store Panel. So our, our researcher community, let's say, within the EU institutions. And yeah, they are talking all about, of course, the metaverse, um, about GPT-5, about in general, um, still IoT, so Internet of Things, edge computing, and so on and so on. So all those things. And I think if you break it down, it will be just a situation of millions of interconnected devices and um, of data sets that are merged and combined 
and so on and so on. So the world in the next um, months will get more and more interconnected. And this, of course, has a lot of effects and will also raise a lot of questions. So, for example, what are we doing with our intellectual property rights in the future? What is with copyright? Do we need already a new copyright? Perform. My boss and my colleague who did it say, do not want, but maybe. Trade secrets, is it still workable and like it was in the 2000s or in the 90s? Privacy, do we need new privacy concepts? Because, for example, consent is not working all the time anymore. Uh, with AI, with again, with GPT-4, and um, we see already a lot of things that is challenging our existing uh, legal framework. So I really think in this area, also maybe liability laws and maybe again, content moderation rules, all those things will be challenged by, by new technological developments. And um, maybe another point is, I think in the next term, we will speak a lot, or hopefully we will speak a lot more about sustainability so how technology can be used to push forward our green deal goals because without technology we will never reach uh, for example our paris agreement um, obligations and so on so yeah i i think there is a lot upcoming a lot to do and a lot of very very big questions and maybe as a last point i just hope that there will be more legislation like the ships act or like um like other things uh, that i said already not that i'm a big expert at uh, from the ships act but in general this idea of um centralizing investments in certain strategical areas and um, really having a geopolitical mindset i think this would be extremely helpful and hopefully we will see it um, more often in the future. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. And I think things like the metaverse and AI are sort of the big new things that everyone is sort of thinking about and understanding how that impacts, you know, everyday citizens. I think the interesting thing about AI is who's processing the AI, who owns the sort of algorithms, and where is that processing happening? You know, is it happening in a data center? What is the security of that data center? Who has access to it? Um, you know, and, you know, AI can be presumably done on devices soon, right? So you may be having an interacting with an AI chatbot that's sort of housed within your phone, if you will. And I think that's a really big change and something that needs to be thought through uh, and potentially will give citizens more control of their own data, right? If there's sort of AI generated interactions are happening sort of closer to them, I think that's a, a positive thing. On intellectual property, I think the least the least talk about intellectual property right is patents. And I think people overlook its importance when it comes to sort of technology. Again, it is when you're, you know, you're talking about this, how do you incentivize researchers? How do you make sure people are investing in doing standardization? And one of the really important ways you do that is with patents. You know, I wish we had as much respect for our scientists and our academics as we do for sort of artists and musicians. Like everyone recognizes that their work should be copyrighted and protected. But I think people are always a little bit more suspicious of patents. And honestly, those are the things that protect our scientists' ideas, right? In order to incentivize them to do long-term research, things like developing the cellular standard, you need to be able to protect their their work that they're putting in, and they need to be able to sort of monetize that. And I think that's something that we need to sort of really look at 
And I know as part of the patent package that's supposed to be released on the 26th of April, there's going to be a piece around standard essential patents. And it's super technical and geeky. But I think at the end of the day, I hope people start to look at patents and associate them with sort of protecting the output of scientists in the same way they think about copyrights protecting their favorite musician's, you know, latest album. Because I think that will go a long way to sort of continuing to get that level of sort of innovation out of Europe. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, uh, you you both mentioned the word uh, copyright and uh, having worked in the, in the institution and in the team that was um, dealing, uh, I, I actually had many conversations with the, with the office of, uh, of Kai on this topic, uh, brings back... Uh, Memories that I would not like to open again <laughs> was a was a good piece uh, where we walked out of the room. Uh, everybody was dissatisfied, which somebody told me that was uh, <laughs> was the essence of a good compromise. Then, <laughs> so I really don't want to take too much of your time, but maybe just a, a brief word on uh, which tech policy issue then do you think will come to the fore in the next year election? I'm going to go first because I probably have the least to say on this. I'm obviously not a politician, nor do I represent any political groups. But I think as a citizen and well, first of all, as someone who deals with technology policy, we are always thinking about the sort of next thing that's coming around, the metaverse, AI, all of these things. And they're very important to us. And it's a good thing that we're having this discussion in Brussels. My instincts is that, you know, when it comes to sort of the electorate, they're looking at much more basic things and thinking and worrying about, do they have good connectivity, you know, that allows them to do remote working? Are their children able to get connected to their schools when they have, you know, remote schooling? I think it's that sort of basic technology, the stuff that we sort of just assume isn't interesting. My instincts is that, you know, for the general population in Europe, those are still the forefront of sort of technology issues that they're thinking about. And I think we have to be humble, those of us who sort of work on these issues and are really into the weeds of the technicalities about how much that really, really is already sort of permeating out into the sort of the streets, the man on woman on the street. So that's my take. But I will hand over to Kai, who probably has much more uh, insightful answer. No, I don't think so, because you really nailed it, I would say. Um, yeah, we in Brussels and in, in general, we are we are in small bubbles. And of course, for us, it's super exciting what is standing in the AI Act in Article 5. But there's outside of Brussels, I would say maybe, well, a few NGOs and um, companies and so on. But as Julian was saying, the citizen is concerned about low salaries, inflation, health insurance, those things. And um, I do not think that digital policy will play a big role except and this is a big except except there is a big scandal like cambridge analytica or or if really gbt4 is so strong and maybe gbt5 which is already apparently under development is even more stronger and we really see a lot of shop losses there were some studies in the last days and uh, being published and um, i forgot who was it uh, some household name they were expecting in some sectors job losses in the next uh, few years about 30 40 percent um, because of um, AI systems and um, this of course could really 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 hamper the the public atmosphere let's say and um, also their feeling if the politics is capable of protecting them from new developments and so on 
I hope this will not happen um, before the election, because if it's happened, unfortunately, often political groups are benefiting that, in my opinion, at least should not be in the forefront um, in the European Parliament. So exterminists um, on both sides of the spectrum, left or hardcore left wing and hardcore right wing, um, they would benefit a lot of it. So again, I hope it will not happen. What I would wish is that more mainstream political groups would underline that, of course, digital tools um, have some risk, but even more, and I think all three of us agree on this point, even more opportunities. Uh, so again, I was talking about Green Deal. Without uh, technology, we can never make it work. We need smart traffic. We need smart grid, uh, smart buildings, and so on and so on. It will only work with technology if we want to um, address certain problems in the value chain, um, supply chain. AI, for example, is helping a lot. Uh, DHL and other companies are using it already and so on. So again, my hope is that centrist um, parties are focusing more and more in, on the enormous opportunities that digital tools um, can play and how they can improve our life. Um, the German liberals um, used it in the last election and it helped them quite a lot, I would say. Unfortunately, they didn't follow up since they are um, in the government on this point. But it shows a little bit that it's not um, a bad strategy for election to have a very optimistic and um, technology positive approach. And again, my big hope is that more political groups are taking this approach. Thank you. Thank you, Kai, and thank you, Gillian. I think that is actually a good uh, end of our session. And I think with that, uh, it's time to wrap up the show. So I want to say a big thank you to both our guests for joining us. Also, thanks to all of you, our listeners, for taking the time to tune in. If you're enjoying uh, Tazo Tech Talks, uh, remember to subscribe to get episode when they land and leave us a review to help more people discover the show. If you want to keep up with Tazo Advisory on uh, social media, make sure to search us on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can also follow me at Sikapa86. And uh, if you want to talk to us about uh, tech policy or policy communication uh, needs in Brussels, Dublin, or new office, or London, email us at hello at tazoadvisory.com and we'd be happy to help. So that's all for now. Thanks again for listening and we hope you tune in again next month.